Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ignited Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lawrence. I believe people and culture are the single greatest competitive advantage in any business. This podcast is a weekly dose of inspiration and practical how-to strategies for transforming the way we learn, grow, and perform at work. So get ready. You're about to learn from the best learning leadership experts on the planet. Let's get after it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second episode of the Ignited Learning Podcast. Today is a very special podcast because it's our first inaugural guest. So I would like to introduce to you a dear friend of mine and our guest for today, Mr. Graham Barkus. Graham is the founder and managing director of the Human Factor Limited. Now, what I'd like to tell you about Graham, besides Graham living in Hong Kong for over 30 years and doing various stints around Asia Pacific, for the last two decades, he's been guiding personal, organizational, and systemic change in senior organizational development roles and he's an external coach and consultant. His work spans boundaries of language, culture, structure, interest, and habit to help drive change in individual and collective performance. So today, in this podcast, Graham will share how he helps people close the gap between resolve and results. He will share how to navigate the path from knowing what is needed and even being committed to doing what is needed to actually making it happen. I think you're really going to love this episode as Graham drops some practical how-to tips for creating sustainable change in organizations. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good afternoon, buddy. How are you? Good afternoon, Steve. I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic. It's um, an absolutely uh, beautiful day, and I think uh, Hong Kong seems to be cautiously optimistic emerging from uh, C19 and and, and getting back. Um, what, What are you seeing? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Um, it's optimistic, but there is that caution um, that we don't want to drop our guard too early. I, I think there's still pretty fresh memories of what it was like coming out of SARS here that make people um, reasonably prudent before they jump and celebrate and go, yeah, we've beaten it. Um, and of course, the rest of the world is, is still, uh, still on the wrong side of the curve. And we're, we're all connected with that. Absolutely. First off, thank you for being on uh, the podcast. You're our first inaugural guest. So I'm really honored and grateful that you're here. And uh, at the same time, I understand it was just, uh, well, I do know this. It was your birthday this weekend. Is that right? I was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, how do, you, how do you celebrate? Then we'll get into it. What do you do? I, we, it was fairly quiet, fairly low key. I mean, my kids gave me a birthday card that said age is just a number. Your, in your case, it's a pretty high one. So we, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we kept, it, kept it low key, pretty much family stuff, but it was fun. It was, the, it was the right way to celebrate. Oh, fantastic. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Graham, in, let's, let's get right into it. So I'm fascinated with this concept that you are working with about resolve to results in the uh, in your practice as an organizational change agent um, can you tell us a little bit about that yeah it, it actually in a funny way it was a gift from a client um, 
who a lot of a lot of the work that we do at the moment is um, either is executive coaching or is, is sort of based in a coaching model and a coaching approach. And this one particular client was new to coaching, didn't really know what it meant. So in the first meeting, he asked me if I would explain to him what it was all about. Mm-hmm. When I did, he said, I think I, I've got it, but let me, let me test. He said, so it's like people who smoke. Um, most people who smoke know that they shouldn't smoke. Um, many of them may want to give up smoking. Um, and others may even have committed to give up smoking, but that isn't the same as being able to do it. So he said, is it that the coach would then help them through all the, the, the process of actually being able to give up uh, as, as the result? And I said, yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. And he said, great, um, I want to work with you. Um, and he said, I've had the same feedback from my boss um, for several years in a row. I, I know what he wants me to do. I'm committed to do it. And I keep sort of making, making attempts uh, to do it and make the changes that he wants. Um, but there's somehow I'm just, I'm not getting the results. Mm. I'm, I'm not being able to turn that into results. So that sort of came as a gift. And it, we'd been wrestling for quite some time as to how exactly to position what it was that we we're trying to do. Um, and we latched onto this. Um, you know, most of my work is with organizations, but I do some work as well in the sort of healthcare realm. Uh, so it's help, helping people make behavioral change um, to improve their health, to improve the performance they get at work. Um, and even if you look to an organizational level, um, you know, a leader in an organization may have a very clear picture in her mind or his mind about what, what they want to achieve mm. um, and may even have given clear instructions and you know, sort of uh, uh, built the picture for people to, to work to. That isn't the same thing immediately as turning it into results. So that's the kind of space we're trying to work in. Gotcha. So when organizational leaders are trying to drive change, mm. um, what gets in the way? What, what do you think are the roadblocks? Oh, there's, there's a bunch. Um, <laughs> I, I know that's I, a big question. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a big question. But I think, I think most of them have to do with things that we probably don't pay all that much attention to. Um, in that we tend to pay most attention to the visible things. Um, So Mm. we we pay attention to to structure and reporting lines and responsibilities. Um, We we map out clear visions and rationales for why we want to do something, why it makes Mm. sense, and all the rest of it. What gets in the way most often is a whole series of sort of human behavior things about the expectations people have of, um, of the situation, um, whether they see it as an opportunity or, or a threat, the other people who are involved and, and how that plays out. For example, if in this organizational change, I feel like I'm losing power and influence and you're gaining it, no matter what I say in terms of my commitment um, to, to do it, when it comes down to turning that into action, you know, some mm-hmm. of those deep, um, uh, let's call it resentments, um, might, might sort of uh, unconsciously get in the way. Um, and also just the simple beliefs people have about themselves and how much agency they have in the situation and whether or not they, they can really do what's required, whether, whether, they, uh, whether they believe they can play the role that they're meant to play. But most of the time, that stuff isn't, is, isn't what's talked about um, in organizational change processes. You know, we talk about the project plans and the timelines and the Gantt charts and all those kind of things. Um, and lots of times people will go to the presentations and go to the work, work groups and that sort of thing and nod and, and sort of say, yep, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, and then 
And even if it's just something as simple as I get all of that, but I have a job to do. You know, I'm, I've, I've got business as usual to deliver. Nobody's told me that I don't have to deliver the results uh, that we have financial performance, quality, all those other right. kinds of things tend not to go away. So I, I, it's a very big question. Um, and there's a whole different bunch of ways you could answer it, but I think it's broadly in that space. So, so what I hear you saying is more the, the invisible stuff making the, is, is that about making the, the undiscussable discussable or surfacing the, the shadow work? Yeah, I, I think that's a good, a good way of describing it. Um, not everything that's undiscussable should be discussable. Right. Um, sometimes it's better not to open a can of worms if, you, if you're not really sure that you can get the lid back on again. Um, <laughs> right. But the answer to the question, what is it that gets in the way of organizational change, is, is quite often in those kind of areas. Yeah. A lot of times when I see organizations trying to drive change, and when they fail, it's actually because different people at different layers of the organization had different perspectives of, of, the, the, of what the new model of the world should be. Um, yeah. you know, so sometimes I, find, I see the juniors pointing at the seniors you know, saying, hey, they never listen. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> the seniors yeah. pointing at the juniors saying, why don't they change? Why are they so stubborn? Or they're a different generation. So yeah, yeah. Do, do you experience that as well? Very much. Um, I think that's part of what I meant when I said it's the expectations people have of others in the organization. Mm. And typically, you know, you're either pointing up or down or along, you know, horizontally. But there are expectations that people at all levels of the organization have about other levels in the organization. Quite often those expectations aren't explicit, aren't stated, or if they are, they're not stated in a way that can lead to, to meaningful action. They're just a complaint or, you know, one group of people all get together with people like them and say, there's that other group of people over there who aren't doing what I, I think they should. But you don't ever, or you rarely turn that into a connected up conversation. So is that making the undiscussable discussable? Yeah, yeah, maybe, partly. Certainly yeah. if, you wanna, if you want to bring about change. And it's interesting. I, I've been working for years at trying to define leadership in a way that accounts for all the different takes people have of leadership. Right. You know, not all leadership is good for a start. There might be some quite bad or toxic or despotic leadership. Some leadership occurs because of position and authority in an organization. Others, other types are quite entrepreneurial or whatever. So I, I, I was looking for a ways to find a common denominator of all of them. And what mm. I came up with after many years was yeah. it's the process of turning intention into reality through yes. collective action. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I think that's what every model of leadership at some level is talking about, intention to reality through collective action. Um, so if you want collective action, I think it's kind of helpful to involve the people who are going to be doing it in the conversation about what the it is. And, and oftentimes that, mm. um, that's kind of left out of the picture or under, underplayed. Absolutely. And so uh, on the collective action, would that be things like um, shared purpose? Yeah, that's a good example. Absolutely. So, so if I am, um, say, a middle senior manager, I'm responsible for a team, and, and you know, I, I want to be driving some change throughout the organization, what would you recommend in terms of how I, how I want to think about this or some specific actions I may take to kind of drive some of the changes I want? Yeah, I, sort of, I think back um, to a program I was a participant in a few years back. Um, 
it was run by a, an American woman um, in Philadelphia, actually. And mm -hmm. her background was in very large scale change, right? What yeah. we might call systemic change. Um, she'd been personally and directly involved with things like the London Dairy Peace uh, Negotiations, you know, stuff like yeah. that. We're talking high level stuff. And it was a fantastic week. I've never been, um, I've never <laughs> been wrong so many times in a week as I was in that. But at the end That's... of it, in, you know, in the closing comments, she said, you know, one thing to remember is no matter how clever we are, and no matter mm. how brilliant our strategy is, ultimately people really only do the things that they are ready, willing, and able to do. Mm. I kept thinking about that, wow, ready, willing, and able. And she said, if, if you're not affecting people's readiness, willingness, and ability to do what's required, you're not going to make very much progress. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of thought about that for a few years, and I expanded that model a little bit. And I came up with um, this, this uh, acronym, CARE, C-A-R-E, yeah. um, to capture the idea that people do best the things that they care most about. And care means they need to be clear, not only about what, but also about why. They need to be clear about why this is happening. What's yeah, it for? The, uh, the emotional juice, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so they need to be clear about why. They need to be able to do what. They need to be ready to do how, and, and that's often slightly um, underestimated, is that shifting from a very well-established and familiar way of doing things to something new and different, in, you know, whether that's adopting a new system or changing of, uh, the, the way that you approach customers or whatever it is, that's not mm -hmm. always easy to do, and, and it yeah. may take some time before it beds us. So there needs to be readiness for that. Um, yeah. The E I struggled with for a while because it could be a lot of things. It mm. could be equipped, it could be enabled, it could be empowered, it could be all these things. What mm. I eventually settled on was energized because mm. it feels to me that that's the piece that sustains performance. Is you know, it's. I, I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, energy in motion is emotion, right? and, that's and right. or emotion is energy in motion. So I, th I think it's clear, able, ready, and energized for the process. So if I'm a team leader um, and I'm thinking about bringing my team with me along the change process, I think about it in those four dimensions. How do I, how do I get them to, to understand and buy into the story about why it's needed? Yeah. How do I make sure that they're supported uh, in terms of you know, the abilities that are required? Mm. Um, how do I coach them through the, the difficulties of change, uh, which is readiness? And then how do I just keep people, keep the energy levels up when it starts to flag and people run run into difficulties, um, you know, run into challenges, run into stakeholders who don't, don't uh, do what we, we hope they would, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's, that, that's, that's fantastic. What I think it is. And so if we're following that care model, kind of that's one pathway to go from um, resolve to results. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, just adding on to this, when I'm thinking about the, um, the care, you know, finding the, the why, the emotional why. Mm. I, uh, a lot of the circles, um, leadership discussions I've had with uh, various circles, there seems to be a common thread that says you want to focus on the what and the why first. You know, know where you're going and have purpose. That's your why. And the how comes second. But a lot of times the, the teams that struggle is they're starting with the how question first before they get mm. the what and the why. Uh, on that. And, uh, and I love what you also said about the ability, not only their competence, but the, the support structures. Mm. Because 
we can expect somebody to completely change, but if they go back into an environment that is unchanged, uh, pretty hard to pull off, pretty hard to pull that off. Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest challenge um, of learning and development in organizational contexts. You, know, you can, you can take people out of that environment and give them the best possible experiential learning tri- uh, process and, and experience. Um, but then you put them back into a system that hasn't changed um, around them. And you, you get one of two results quite often. One is the energy level for the change just disappears. It runs headlong into you know, business as usual, whatever. Um, the other one, sadly, is that people leave because they've been mm. so inspired by the, the development process that they say, you know what, if I'm, I think that's the way things could be. And if I can't get that here, I'm going to go find somewhere where, where, where I can get it. Um, and it's always a big debate. It, so, you know, should organizations invest in learning and development? And of course, the answer is absolutely. They must yeah. do that. Ultimately, if somebody's found meaning and purpose, which is beyond the current organization, they're not, the organization doesn't win by keeping them there, working in a way that isn't aligned with their own values and purpose. On right. the other hand, if they leave and go somewhere else and continue building their career down the track, who knows? They may be, they may be somebody who could come back into that organization in a different context or a higher level. So, yeah, you absolutely must invest in learning and development. But you've got to think about the whole system as well. If you put them back into a system that really hasn't changed and doesn't want to change, you know, be prepared for suboptimal results. Yeah. Just a, just a little sidebar. Uh, there's a... There's a uh, coaching professional by the name of Dr. David Drake. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he runs the narrative coaching. coaching. Yes, yeah. yeah. He runs narrative coaching. And I recently came across his 720 feedback tool. Don't know if you've heard of this, but... Um, I have not. It, it addresses how you can... Basically, it, it addresses two hands to clap. So in a traditional 360, we get all the feedback on the leader around you know, the behavioral changes but in the 720, it's 360 plus 360, where we not only talk about the behavioral change in the leaders, but we also engage the team around the conversation, which says, which behaviors are you willing to change in support of the behavioral changes that your leader wants to make? Yeah. And uh, it's yeah. an interesting concept where we're, we're bringing both parties to the table. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I had not come across it. I'll, I'll go look it up. But uh, yeah, David Drake stuff, I, I think is very good. But uh, yeah. I hadn't come across that. So uh, Graham, just quickly. So in the C19 environment with your mm. clients in terms of helping them navigate uncertainty, navigating change, positioning for when we come out of this, um, what are you seeing uh, clients struggling with and how are you helping them? I think there's a couple of things. Um, you mentioned one already. Um, uncertainty is is a huge issue. Um, yeah. As human beings, we don't we don't like uncertainty, and we <laughs> strive to make the uncertain certain all the time. Um, and in this situation, it's very very difficult, if not uh, not impossible, to do that. So one of the thoughts is um, that, or one of the pieces of work we've been doing is helping people trade certainty for clarity. And there's a difference between the two. Certainty, I think, has a longer time frame perspective. Clarity is just enough clarity so that people know what to do this week or today or tomorrow. Mm. So we've, we've been helping them with that. The other part of it um, is prolonged uncertainty um, is very stressful for people to yeah. deal with. And, and so yeah. it's an emotional burden. Um, so we're working with a lot of people around coping strategies. Uh, how, how do I how do I navigate my mm. way through mm. this? 
Um, and I think broadly, there's two types of coping. There's problem-focused coping, and there's emotion-focused coping. And if you can't fix the whole problem, um, it's important to focus on the emotional side of it. Um, because, wow. you know, if, if you can help somebody deal with the emotional reaction to it, that will free up headspace and it will free up their cognitive capabilities to be able to sort of see the, the impossible situation from a slightly wider perspective and maybe find just enough clarity that they can carry on and they can, they can take their teams with them. Now, of course, you can't just deal with the emotional coping strategy forever because the problem's still there. And, mm, but what it does mm. do is I find a lot of organizations tend to shy away from dealing with emotions, um, yeah. which, by the way, is very funny because if you're in a, in a business that sells to consumers, you're dealing with emotions all the time. You know, you're, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're, you're trying to make people feel a certain way about your product or your brand or your service or, or whatever. But in organizations, we, we often see that people don't like to deal with the emotional side of it in something like COVID-19 that we have now you have no choice because we can't yeah. fix the problem it's much much bigger than any of us so yeah if we're really smart we deal with the emotional side of it and in doing that we free up the, the space that people can think differently and creatively about the problem side of it mm. and, and I'm seeing I'm seeing that in the virtual meeting and virtual training space as well the importance of checking in with people in terms yes, of yeah. uh, checking in with them as human beings in terms of how are you um, before getting into the agenda of the day because you know as we've briefly touched on people may be feeling isolated disconnected uncertain and and that it's it's critical to connect with one another as human beings um, especially in the virtual world before we get into figuring out you know the the, the tactical strategic steps we're going to take I think that is very important. Um, a lot has been written about this, that since the advent of mobile devices, even when we were meeting face-to-face, -face, we were losing the opportunity to check in with people and, and you know, engage in, in small talk because we're all waiting outside the meeting room all on our devices, you know, doing a last-minute mm. email or text or Slack <clears throat> message or whatever. Um, there's a very interesting book. I can't remember the author's name. It's Leslie something or other, but um, the book is called Sleeping With My Smartphone. Oh, and, 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 she, and she speaks she speaks to this issue um and one of the one of the threads in in the book is an experiment that was done with a consulting firm in the u.s um where they're experimenting with a sort of more humane treatment of their consulting teams um, um who of course were suffering from burnout and these other kind of things and they started each meeting with a check-in to see how people were and it was so difficult for people and so counter cultural for people to do it at the beginning, they had, to, they had to resort to smiley emoji cards. So you could have a smiling mm. face, a neutral face, or a frowning face, face to check in. But once they got the hang of it, they mm. started to realize the value and, and the benefit to business outcomes of checking in with people and hearing their stories, you know, and seeing them as human beings. Um, so rapidly, they got rid of the, the flashcards and were able to talk to each other as, as people. Um, and I think, again, what COVID-19 is showing is the importance and value of, of doing that. Mm. I mean, I guess it's the same for you. 90% or more of what I used to do face-to-face -face is now having to be done in, a, in an online environment. And it's easy to fall into the trap of, um, of missing out that human side of it. And, you know, even when you put people into a breakout room in a Zoom session, I, I now start at least the first one in every session with, 
two minutes structured around just who you are, which part of the business, or, or if, you, if it's people from multiple backgrounds, you know, whereabouts in the world you are, um, and say something to, that's important to you about the topic of focus, just as a way to make it easy for people to start talking to each other and to feel, feel heard and, and visible. Because, yeah, that is, that is missing when, you, when we're working from home and uh, in difficult circumstances. And, and also I find uh, making sure everyone has voice online. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's real easy to skip over or to not see somebody who has something valuable to share. And, you know, there's different comfort levels with being online. And I, so I think as leading a meeting or being an online facilitator, uh, we have to be almost twice as cognizant to where people are at. Um, I don't know who told me this, but they said, if you don't get everyone to share within the first three minutes, um, the more quieter people or who are a little bit more uh, apprehensive about sharing are far less likely. But if we're doing that human check-in, even if it's the, how are you? Or yeah. what's, what's the water like in your neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever creative way you want to do it, um, it, it really lends itself to, to, to be doing that up front. It's funny you say that. Um, I'm, I'm part of a weekly check-in with usually about 50 people on this call out of yeah. the U.S., um, and it's only an hour-long call. And mm. so the check-in itself often takes 40 or 50% of the call time. But what happens out of that becomes the topic of the call. You know, mm. somebody will say something, somebody else will pick up on it and all the rest of it. Everybody gets their chance to speak. Um, and then you have, you know, you have the chat function along the side. And so some people will be talking about yeah. a different topic. But, yeah, I, I, it, it's... It's an interest, it's a necessity, but also an opportunity that technology has enabled um, to do this. Yeah. The other point that I, I was thinking as you were talking is, you know, we make that mistake in face-to-face settings as well, I think. Um, mm. uh, the mistake we make is assuming that only the people who talk a lot have something to say and not, <laughs> making, it, not making it easy for somebody who's a little quieter, a little, uh, you know, a little less comfortable with speaking in front of a, of a large group or strangers or whatever. And simple things like having some parts of the discussion where people can write on a post-it note or, or, you know, just find another way to express an opinion or use a polling app. There's such simple techniques um, that, that will help yeah. get around that. Or even just contracting. Um, <clears throat> yeah. you know, I find the need to contract with one another about how we're going to be, either in a meeting yeah. or in a learning environment, really matters, especially in the online setting. You know, a simple one is whether or not you turn on your camera. And I come across a lot of managers, um, learning leaders that say, how do I get people to turn on my camera, <laughs> to turn on their camera? And I think it fundamentally gets down to contracting around mm. making sure we understand each other's um, expectations um, and, and what we want to achieve. Yeah, I, I, that's a couple of good points there. Um, I've been on a lot of calls where people are not comfortable having the camera on all the time. And where we contract is that when they go into a breakout session that they do put their camera on so at least you know, yeah. they can see the people in the smaller group. Um, the other thing that I've been experimenting with recently that somebody else suggested is, you know, we might do long days of going back to back to back uh, Zoom or, or other mm. sessions. And we sort of forget that we're moving people into breakout rooms or we're going into breakout rooms, but we're not physically moving. We're still stuck at our desk. Um, yes. So something I've come across recently 
is people, when you start a breakout room, say, okay, have your camera off for the first 90 seconds and stand up, stretch, do something, move, get the blood flowing again. Oh, that's great. And then, you know, then you come back in and switch your camera back on again. But I, again, it's not like all these things. It's not rocket science, but it can be really beneficial in terms of keeping people engaged and uh, with the blood flowing to their brain. <laughs> and the key on that is um, adopting an invitational posture. Yeah, very much. You know, because yeah. uh, some people freak out about being on camera <laughs> or, uh, you know, I might not want to stand up or so yeah. the, invita- <laughs> the invitation is there. <laughs> so, uh, Graham, moving forward, uh, hmm. where, where are you headed? With, with your business and how you're serving organizations? It's a good question um, because the answer that I can give today has a much higher level of uncertainty than it would have had six months ago. I mean, mm. you, you know, we've, we've had a fairly turbulent um, period in, in Hong Kong. And yeah. when we got to the end of last year, I was kind of looking forward into 2020 and thinking, well, maybe, maybe things will be a little more uh, stable and certain, uh, which hasn't proven to be the case at all. This is, this is a much longer talk, but one of, the, one of the things that's interested me for a long time is the, the, the need that organizations talk about to have people who are innovative and creative and collaborative in the way they work. And the reality that most workplaces are not, not really set up, either physically or, or spiritually, mm-hmm. um, to, to always enable that to, to the highest extent. And I think that's a problem because... What we see as a result is the level of anxiety and stress um, and even uh, mental uh, ill health in organizations Mm. is increasing. Mm. Uh, And that's a global phenomenon. The World Health Organization says um, they predict that by 2030, mental ill health will be the leading burden on healthcare systems worldwide. Um, And we know that healthcare systems per se can't handle that volume. They're just, they're they're not set up to do that. Mm. And by the time somebody is unwell enough that they need medical attention, they're a long way into the process. So I've Mm. been exploring with some of my partners, is there a way that we can help organizations engage more meaningfully with the idea of not tackling mental ill health, but creating and sustaining good mental health in organizations? Because my bet is that if they do that well, they'll find that they have cultures where people learn where people innovate, where people are able to collaborate, work collaboratively, mm. um, and they will get a real business benefit out of that. Because the, you know, the sort of the third corner of the triangle is artificial intelligence and machine learning, which mm. everybody agrees is going to take over a lot of the more routinized um, sort of mechanical aspects of work. That right. creates an incredible space for the human element, which is about this sort of creativity, complex problem solving. Um, yeah. So if organizations can create the conditions where that, that enables that, and you know, the, expe- the, the experience we've just had with COVID-19 has created a phenomenal experiment around working from home. In Hong Kong, we always thought that working from home wouldn't really work very well. People live in two small spaces. They often share them with other family members and mm. all the reasons that we know about. Um, but lo and behold, there are some good examples of where it's actually worked quite well. And people are saying to me, I'm kind of wondering, why do I need to go back to the office after all of this? Now, if we can find a way to reformat work and think about it more in terms of the outcomes and the conditions that you would best create to get those outcomes, 
I think that's a phenomenal opportunity. So we're, we're starting to explore how could we help organizations in, in that space. Um, and for me, it brings together my interests in, in organizational effectiveness and performance and executive performance and the sort of the healthcare side of the equation as well. Wow. So, so we're kind of looking at the future of the work, the future of work through the lens of well-being? Yes, I, I, that's a very good way of describing it. Absolutely. Um, looking at the future of work through the lens of well-being. Uh, <laughs> you should, don't, trademark, don't trademark that because I want it. No, <laughs> no, that's no exactly problem. it. And, and yeah. the reason that I think it makes sense is the future of work requires well-being to be an integral part of how we think about work. Because all the other stuff, the machines will, will be able to do for us. And do you have any practical tips that, you know, your, your average, um, that, that any employee, manager or leader could do today to create a little bit more well-being with their team today? Well, I think some of what we've talked about is very, is, you know, it's not difficult and it can be very powerful. Checking mm. in with people regularly. Yeah whether you're working face-to-face or remotely, is extremely powerful. But not Mm. just as a routine. Do it from a place of I'm genuinely interested and concerned to understand um, who who my people are and what's what's on their minds. I I think that's that's a very powerful one. Um, In the current environment where we're doing it, we're we're doing most of what we do in a different way and with more reliance on technology, I've seen a lot of organizations and team leaders who specifically schedule social gatherings online mm. where there isn't any work topic at all. It's just an opportunity for people to get together and you know, do the water cooler chat and all that kind of stuff. Again, if you do it with a genuine intent that says, I want to allow people to be physically separate, but um, socially connected mm. or a term that I heard the other day, I really liked is how do we create remote closeness? If you do it with a, if you do it with a positive intent to achieve that, I think you'll get a good outcome. If you do it as a sort of a, a way of packaging up an agenda, which is about asking somebody why they why they logged off at five fifty five instead of six o'clock, then it, it may not have the uh, the desired effect. But you know, I, I think if you approach it approach it with the right spirit and the right intent, that will help. Um, I think the other thing that lead, team leaders can really usefully do is make sure that people are paying enough attention to their own physical well-being. Mm. Uh, to make sure that we're paying attention to the physical well-being of our people and encouraging them. You know, a lot of them are finding they're not able to go to the gym or play tennis or go swimming because the facilities are shut down. I've, I think of a couple of um, my client organizations. Yes, they're, they're building a library of all the material about how to deal with the business impacts of COVID-19 and, and you know, the human dynamics. Um, they've also built a library about um, apps and other kind of things that you can use to sustain some physical activity um, and make sure that even if you're constrained to home, you can still do something and move and at mm. least keep a baseline level of fitness uh, going. Mm. I've, I've, seen, I've seen some organizations doing planking challenges. Really? I, I haven't seen that. But yeah, yeah they, they actually get online and everyone has the camera and <laughs> you have a team of 20 people all doing a planking challenge. So it's absolutely, it's over the top, but I, I, I love it. I might, uh, might have to do that one with the camera off. Um. <laughs> I, think, I think so. I'm going to do mine with the camera off. <laughs> yeah. um, just, Graham, you're talking about the importance of the water cooler chat. Hmm. I think that, that's one of the, um, the magic of corporate culture it's 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 the banter it's it's the informal relationships and bringing that water cooler chat 
into the virtual world so that you have that mm. social connectedness, that's so important. It is. Um, and you can't necessarily structure that in the same way yeah. that, you know, your manager doesn't tell you, hey, Graham, go have a go have a water cooler chat with Steve at 10 past 10. It, it, it sort of happens as a natural course of, of human interaction. Um, so we have to be careful that we're not trying to overstructure this. Um, mm, mm. And I think in that sort of thing, it's, it's more about making it um, acceptable to do that. Um, so even if you schedule a, you know, a Zoom call um, for a, a particular period of time, building into that some, some small talk time and, mm. and making it possible and discussable and having people able to use the company Zoom platform to be able to just check in with people and, and chat. I mean, it's one of the things that we see from feedback that people miss is they feel disconnected from the social chat. Right. Uh, you know, and un, unaware of what's going on, or they may feel like they're out of the loop. Um, and, and that depresses performance, depresses motivation, makes people feel disconnected from what's important. I want to we're coming to the end of end of our time together. And um, first, I just want to say thank you for dropping all this absolute gold and wisdom for our listeners. Incredibly value. So I, I just want incredibly valuable. So I just want to say thank you to that. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope it's uh, hope it's helpful and useful. No, it, it's super good, um, Graham. Last question: How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the work you do? Um, I guess the, the easiest way is um, we have a LinkedIn page. Uh, it's humanfactorglobal.com. Uh, well, there's a website and a LinkedIn page linked to that. I have a, a direct email address, which is graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, at humanfactorglobal.com. I don't know, maybe if you put that in the show notes or somewhere like Ab that, so people could do that. Absolutely. That's probably the easiest. Uh, we, we have a sort of general inquiries email address called info at humanfactorglobal.com. And I keep forgetting to check it. So <laughs> I better go look at that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll make sure that we put all three of those links in the show notes. <sighs> thank so, you. Thank you. And it, anyways, Graham, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. And uh, thank you so much. My pleasure, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Ignited Learning Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at ignited-learning.com. Thanks for listening.